Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. You have a chance to help shape the future of The Gateway. We have an online survey to let us know what you think about the daily podcast, why you listen, what you like, what you don't like. The survey is at gateway.show. That's gateway.show. It will only take a few minutes to complete. Thanks for your time. And now, today's podcast. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Thursday, February 27th. I'm Wayne Pratt. Ahead, it's been five years since Arch City defenders took Ferguson and Jennings to federal court for allegedly running modern-day debtors' prisons. Jennings settled in 2016. Ferguson continues to fight. It can take 10 years. It can take 20 years. That's fine with me, as long as I know the injustice was done about the city of Ferguson. St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman has more on the extended legal fight in just a few minutes. First, the headlines. Many South St. Louis County residents are agreeing with the Board of Police Commissioners' position that the next police chief should come from inside the department. The board last night held the second of three meetings to gather input on choosing a replacement for John Belmar. He will retire April 30th. Belmar worked his way through the ranks of the department. Laborers Local 110 President Ronnie Griffin says that approach for the next chief does not need to change. These cops that are here now, uh, they know the community, uh, they know the diversity in the community, they know that the issues in the community and they can better serve the community. Officers with the rank of captain or higher, that's 23 in all, are eligible to replace Belmar. Applications are due March 11th. The board will hold a final public listening session March 10th at Parkway North High School. Missouri Democrats are fighting Republican bills they say are anti-LGBTQ. St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll reports Democrats are specifically pointing to 10 bills filed in the Missouri House. Student-athletes must compete with their biological sex, and medical providers are prohibited from completing gender reassignment surgery for anyone under 18. These are just a couple of the proposals moving through the House that Democrats are fighting. Minority leader Crystal Quaid from Springfield says they've also filed MONA, Missouri's Non-Discrimination Act, for the 22nd consecutive year. That would prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. It's time for Missouri's laws to catch up with the current reality, not to lock us in the past. They've also filed measures to ban conversion therapy for those in the medical field and to require schools to teach about LGBTQ contributions to society. None have been assigned to committee. In Jefferson City, I'm Jacqueline Driscoll, St. Louis Public Radio. Some charter schools and early child care providers are coming together to expand free preschool in St. Louis. St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney reports the cooperative has an ambitious timeline. The St. Louis Pre-K Cooperative wants to have about 200 more state-funded pre-K spots at charter schools beginning in August. A state fund created in 2018 reimburses a sliver of pre-K costs for public schools worth about $2 million total in St. Louis. Education consultant Ann Miller says bringing existing early childhood education centers together with charter schools can reduce the startup costs. She says there's a need for about 4,000 more spots in the city, and this cooperative only chips away at that. Even if we max all of that out, there's still large gaps in the investment that it would take to really serve all St. Louis students. St. Louis Public Schools and Head Start are the largest providers of pre-K in the city. 
I'm Ryan Delaney, St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis Blues defenseman Jay Bomeister will not be back on the ice for the rest of the season. That's after collapsing on the bench two weeks ago. In his first comments since the incident, he calls the support he's received humbling. It goes to show you it's sort of the hockey community and how people really do care about each other and it's a small world. Bomeister has not made a decision about possibly coming back next season. The nonprofit legal advocacy group Arch City Defenders and its allies started their fight against what they viewed as the injustice of St. Louis's municipal courts five years ago. The organization filed the first of seven federal lawsuits accusing cities of operating modern-day debtors' prisons. The suits demanded policy changes and financial payments. As St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman reports, many of their clients are still waiting for relief a half decade later. Keely Fant is 42, a single mom of nine. She calls herself fair and loving. She's trained as a certified nursing assistant. And over the last 20 years, she cycled in and out of North County jails at least a dozen times. Ferguson was almost always among them. Pretty much everywhere else, you know, you might be there less or whatever. But usually I would always want to go to Ferguson first rather than last because that would be the longest ride. Fant lost several jobs, a car, and an apartment to those stays in jail, which followed a familiar pattern. She'd be pulled over, usually for some kind of minor traffic violation. A computer check would reveal that she had a warrant out for her arrest from another small city because she couldn't pay the fines and fees from an earlier traffic stop. She'd be jailed until her family could raise enough money to get her out. In many cases, she says, the jails were filthy and freezing and the guards abusive. The region's use of its municipal courts had been under scrutiny since the August 2014 death of Michael Brown, says Arch City's executive director, Blake Strode. We saw grassroots efforts, people taking to the streets and that being a driver for change, but we thought that we had something to offer in terms of bringing some of this systemic litigation. Fant heard about Arch City's efforts from a friend who had ridden the same municipal merry-go-round. She was like, Keely, I met a lawyer and um, he's meeting up at my house and I really want you to come because I think he can help us or whatever. And um, I had warrants all over the place and I was tired. I was like, you know, nothing beats a failure. I'm going to try this. Fant would end up being a part of class action lawsuits against Ferguson and Jennings. They were filed on the same day, February 8, 2015. That's where the similarities end. Within 18 months, Jennings settled for nearly $5 million after what were described as substantial and adversarial negotiations. About 2,000 people who had been in the Jennings jail because of unpaid fines and fees got a check based on the number of days they were behind bars. The city also forgave all those fines and fees. With her settlement check of several thousand dollars, Fant could pay bills and buy and register a car. Money is always good, but unveiling, you know, injustice, you know, things, that's way more important. But Ferguson is fighting every step of the way, and other cities are following its lead. Fant's not surprised. It was just too much wrong done. They were too comfortable in it. Ferguson officials said they do not comment on ongoing litigation. The attorney who represented Jennings declined to say why the city settled so quickly.
Like any defendant, cities are doing a cost-benefit analysis, says law professor Margot Schlanger. She's the founder and director of the Civil Rights Litigation Clearinghouse at the University of Michigan. The question is, what's a judge going to make us do? What do we want to do? Are we going to win or lose if we go to the judge? How can we get the most control? How can we minimize our exposure? But Schlanger says cities often forget about one important factor. They are so convinced that they don't want to pay any money to the plaintiffs, that they forget that defending the lawsuit could be just as costly. Exact figures for Ferguson, which has at various times been represented by six law firms, were not available. A 2016 contract with one of those firms, Lewis Rice, calls for its attorneys to represent the city in court for $265 an hour, plus various expenses. The rate for civil rights litigation, however, is not listed and is likely higher. And as Strode points out, any number doesn't take into account the time and effort required of city officials. When you have folks that have unquestionably been harmed who've received nothing, I don't know how you continue to justify that. Strode is familiar with the complexities and delays of federal court, but he says the extended litigation has been hard on Fant and his other clients. And in fact, one of our plaintiffs has died. She went to her grave without being able to see a a resolution. And that's really heartbreaking. The contrast between Jennings and Ferguson is bittersweet for Fant. But she says she's not going anywhere. It can take 10 years. It can take 20 years. That's fine with me, as long as I know the injustice was done about the city of Ferguson. I'm Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.